Hey, good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here. So great to see you. Thank you for letting me interrupt your service. Uh, this summer, we're going to be doing a great series, 1 John, so that you may know. And what is it that we want you to know? Well, 1 John teaches us the objective truth of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John tells us that he was a part of Jesus' ministry. He saw him here on earth. He heard him teach. He saw him bodily rise from the grave. And, and so our faith is objectively true. But he also teaches us that since it's objective is true, Christ is in us. It's subjectively true as well, that Jesus transforms us from the inside out. So that if we love God, we're going to love others. If we love God as He is light, we're going to walk in the light. And it's going to encourage us in, to walk in holiness and righteousness. So really, really excited about this summer series. And uh, we do these summer series through the books of the Bible so that while you're on vacation, you can tune in. You don't want to miss a week. And so I know a lot of you are going to be vacationing this summer. I hope you have a great time of rest with your family and things like that. But don't miss a week of Coastal Church. So we're really excited for you to join us this summer in our new series, First John. Have a great Sunday. I want to turn it back over to your campus pastor. God bless you. Well, as you just heard Pastor Sean mention, hey, today we are beginning this brand new series called So That You May Know. Church, let me kick off this series by asking you a question, okay? Is your faith real? Now, I'm not just talking about five years ago when you went to summer camp and you had that experience after the worship service was over and maybe you were sitting out by the lake with your small group leader and some other friends and you knew in that moment while you were out there away from your regular environment that Jesus was real. I'm not even just talking about maybe 20 years ago where you went and got baptized and you were so passionate about your faith in Jesus that you were telling everyone and their mom about who Jesus was. Look, I'm not even just talking about a couple of years ago when you were in that desperate place and you knew that the only way that you were going to make it through the only way that you were going to make it to the other side was by holding on, grasping, clinging to this Jesus. Look, I'm not just talking about a couple years ago where you had some moments where your faith was so real. Look, is your faith real today? Right now, Sunday, May 21st in 2023, is your faith real Look, is it the type of faith that you have right now where your faith is only based on feeling? So when the feeling's gone, your faith is gone. Do you have the faith right now, the type of faith right now where maybe your faith is even fading some? Maybe you're even deconstructing faith because you've been looking at things in the Bible and these things about God and trying to line them up or fit them up with things that are happening in our world and in our culture, and you just can't seem to connect the dots. Do you have a faith right now that's fading or that you're even deconstructing? Look, we're going to be looking at this incredible passage of Scripture that shows us what it means to have some real faith. And look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this series is going to give you some insider information. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus as Lord, man, you're going to get to see some of this fellowship that we desire to have with one another some of this living in the world and not of the world that we talk about, you're even going to get to see some of the wrestling that people still do as they've trusted Jesus. When they've taken these steps forward, but yet the sin that still remains at times trips us up, sometimes even causes us to wrestle with some extreme doubt. Look, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're going to get to see like what a real Christian wrestles with, 
but also at the same time, you're going to get to see what it is that gives us our confidence to continue to move forward in Jesus. Now look, for the believer, this series is designed to challenge you to see that your faith is both subjective and also objective. Look, right out the gate, we don't have a faith that is solely based on facts and figures or inputs and outputs. But yes, there is some of that. Man, we have a faith that is based in history. But we also don't have the type of faith that's simply solely based on feelings or experience. But yet there is something supernatural about following God. There is something that you can both know and experience in following this Jesus. Look, faith in Jesus is something that you can know today. Faith in Jesus is something that you can experience today. So again, church, I ask you, look, is your faith real? Not just years ago, but is it real today? Why don't you go in and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be 1 John chapter 1 today. We're going to be in this book for this entire summer. And as you're turning there, look, I'm going to give you some background information on this book in the Bible called 1 John. First of all, this letter was written by the Apostle John. Look, John wrote five letters, five books of the Bible. Uh, more famously, he wrote the Gospel of John, where you get John 3.16 from. But he also wrote the book of Revelation. But he also wrote 1 John, where we're going to be today and for the rest of the summer, and then two other Johns, 2 John and 3 John. In this letter, John is writing to a bunch of churches in this area of Rome called Ephesus. In fact, the date for this letter is actually right around 90 AD. Third century historian Eusebius notes that this letter was written to this churches in Ephesus, this Roman-ruled area, and he writes that when John wrote these letters, this region of Ephesus, this region of Rome, was under rule by an emperor named Domitian. Now, Domitian, he followed a lot of his predecessors like Nero, and he was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting the church. And Eusebius also makes this note that Domitian, just like other emperors, other rulers of Rome before him, he claimed that he was divine. In fact, Domitian even had his subjects call him Lord and God. And John is writing to this church. He's writing to these churches in this region to let them know, like, this is the culture that you're in. He's writing to help them to see that, look, this is the culture that you're in, but when it comes to choosing to worship the Caesar or to worship Christ, you choose Christ. Look, there is only one Lord God. There is only one God-man, and his name is Jesus. But not only that, okay? Man, John is writing because these first century followers, he's writing to these churches because there were also some confusion that was coming into the church about Christ. And he's writing them to let them know that this confusion is coming from the outside and even begin to come into the inside of the church through these false teachers as people have been looking, taking what's happening in the culture from the outside and bringing it into the church. John is writing to let them know like what these heresies are about how the reality of who Jesus is addresses them. See, these false teachers, they were working so hard to corrupt what the apostles had taught the church on how to live and actually how to follow Jesus. In fact, Irenaeus, who was a bishop in the church in the second century, made known, again, this is recorded history. 
he may know that one of the false teachings that John was specifically writing to address was a false teaching called docetism, okay? Now, docetism was championed by a guy named Serenthus, and docetism pretty much taught that Jesus was a normal man. He was born, he was a normal man, and then at his baptism, the Spirit of Christ came and landed on Jesus, stayed with Jesus for his ministry, and then when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Spirit of Christ left Jesus, and he was just a regular man again teaching this separation of who Jesus actually is. He was also writing to combat this other heresy that was coming into the church called Gnosticism, where pretty much it viewed Jesus as not having an actual physical body. In fact, it kind of came out of Platoism, where Platoism said that anything that is material is evil. So they pretty much said, look, Jesus didn't have a real body. In fact, he was more like a phantom or an apparition or even more like ghost Jesus. And again, John is writing this church to let them know that their faith isn't based on a phantom. Their faith is based on a very real Jesus, who is Lord and who is God. In fact, he makes it clear in this key verse. And look, I want to challenge you, church, okay, as we go through this series all throughout this summer, and pastor included, I have not memorized this verse yet, but I'm going to memorize this verse along with you. But hey, I wanted to challenge every single one of you. In fact, small group leaders, help me out on this. I want to challenge every single one of you to memorize this key verse where John makes it so clear his intentions and what he wanted to teach the church. I want to challenge you to memorize 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And John writes this. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Look, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, church, look, I know I've given you quite a bit of background information, but again, it's so that you may know. See what we did there? So that you may know. Look, you do have a faith that is objective. Look, this is grounded in history It is grounded in reality, but you do have a faith that is subjective too. Because when you have the Son, you have life. You get to experience life to the full and even eternity one day that Jesus promises that we're going to have. Now, with all of that being said, look how John starts this letter in 1 John chapter 1 to these churches in this culture of Rome, in this region of Ephesus, where all this confusion over Christ is beginning to happen. Look how John begins this letter to these churches. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. He says the life was made manifest. He says we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And he says that we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Church today, I have just one point for you, okay? And really, it's one point with two halves. So I'm going to go and give you the first half of the one point I have for you today. The first half of the one point is this. This story is real. This story is real. This is a story that's been changing lives for over 2,000 years. This really did happen with this Jesus. In fact, look again at how John begins this. Notice that he begins with that which was from the beginning. Look, it's an echo of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says that which was from the beginning. It's even an echo back to John chapter 1, verse 1, or John chapter 1, where he says, look, in the beginning was the word. And the word is this reference to Jesus. The word is a reference to Jesus. Everything that God wanted to say, everything that he wanted to communicate was in Christ. And he said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And he's echoing back to these illustrations of the beginning. And John is noting that this story is real and it's rooted in the stability that from the very beginning, God's been showing us. He's been telling a story and his pathway to redemption from the very beginning. And specifically here, he is referencing this very real Jesus who existed from eternity past. And he said, this Jesus was made manifest. Now look back again at the second half of verse 1, going into verse 2. John says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. Church, this is so rich in meaning right here. This is so good. I know some of you probably use the word manifest all the time. Uh, you probably use it several times already today, even just on your way over here, like look at what's manifesting in our car or whatever it is. I know some of you, okay, you, you probably are familiar with the word because you've worked in the shipyard. I know we have many men and women who have um, served in the Navy. And of course, that word manifest often refers to the content of a ship. Right? What is the cargo? Um, even a list of people that's on the ship is to manifest like who is actually inside the ship or what is actually contained in the ship. But right here, this word means something different. That word manifest right here, it means to become visible, to be seen, to be made clear. To become visible, to be seen, to be made clear. Now, how many of you, okay, sitting out there today, how many of you guys out there, how many of you wear some type of corrective eyewear, uh, contacts, glasses? Maybe you've even had LASIK surgery. How many of you guys need some type of correction for your vision? Raise your hand up, okay? Some type of correction for your vision? Raise your hand up. Okay, all right. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but I wear glasses, okay? In fact, I'm what they call nearsighted, which means that I can only see things that are up close. In fact, when I take these glasses off, you guys look like a bunch of fuzzy, blurry, whatever it is that's, that's out there. I can't identify any faces. 
I can't see who's sitting anywhere. I don't know what you guys look like. I don't know if anybody's sleeping right now. I don't know if anybody's giving me the bird right now. Like, I have no idea what's happening out there. In fact, my depth perception is even off. If I try to walk off this stage, I may trip and fall if I don't have these glasses on. But see, when I bring these glasses near to my face and I put them on, everything becomes clear. Man, you guys look like a bunch of beautiful people sitting out there. John is saying that concerning Jesus, concerning the promises of God, the plan of God, when Jesus came near, God's promise and his plan was made clear. He says the word of life, the son of God, he came and this vision, this life that we, people have been looking for, that they've been searching for, was made crystal clear in Jesus. God's plan of salvation, his plan for the world was made clear in Christ. He said, look, the life was made manifest. Again, it became visible, it was seen, and it was made clear. He says, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, this eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Again, John shows us here that Jesus makes God's plan for salvation crystal clear. Look, his plan was made clear. The real promise of God was even made personal through this Messiah in Jesus Christ. Dr. Tony Evans, this author and theologian, he says this. He says, look, truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. He says the further you get away from what is true, the more your reality actually becomes distorted. That's why I think John even wrote in his first gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, Look, but these are written so that you may believe. So you can see clearly. So you can know. Because Jesus has been brought near. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Come on, church, do you see it? John testified that this Jesus is historical, that this Jesus is eternal. Church, this is an eyewitness account from a very real John who really did live in the first century. Because why else would we be talking about the story of a Jewish carpenter from a seemingly insignificant town? Why would we, 1930 years later, still be talking about this Jesus if he was just another carpenter, if he was just another philosopher, or just another rabbi that showed up in the first century? John is showing here that he is the God-man. He is the Lord God. God's plan, God's promise made manifest, even made personal. Look, we don't have a faith that simply believes whatever. The story is real. Now, you ready for the second half of the one point I'm giving you today, okay? Not only is this story real, but we got to tell the story. The story is real, and it's still changing lives, so we have to tell the story. Look again at verse 3. John says, that which we have seen and heard. He said, we proclaim also to you two may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He says, look, I saw Jesus. 
He says, I saw God's plan for salvation made crystal clear and even brought near. He says, I heard, I even touched. He literally put his head on the chest of Christ. He was so close to Jesus. And John says, this is what I now proclaim to you so that you can have fellowship with us, but also have fellowship with the Father. Now, that word fellowship right there, look, it has two implications to it. The first implication is that there's a unity of believers that's designed out of this fellowship, but also an invitation to the broken. What John is saying here, look, there is a unity of believers that's desired out of this fellowship, but also an invitation to the broken. Again, he says, look, I proclaim also this to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You know, that word fellowship right there, it simply means, like in its simplest form, it means oneness in community. Fellowship simply means this oneness in community. In fact, have you ever looked at the word community and noticed that it's actually two words together? Have you ever noticed that the word community actually has the word unity in it? It comes from two words, common and unity smushed together. And so this is what the idea of fellowship is carried in that John is talking about right here. That we would have this unity in fellowship that is not divisive, that is not filled with gossip or slander or bitterness, but unity that is started by and fueled by the gospel story. Look, I don't know if you remember, but back in John chapter 17, back in John's other gospel, he records as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he records this prayer that Jesus prays for his followers who were right there. And Jesus prayed, Father, make them one, make them unified, just like you and the Father, like I and the Father are one. Lord, make them one like you and I are one. But he also didn't just pray for his followers who were right there in that moment. He also prayed for every follower who would come. Church, did you know that we're the followers who were to come? What if we were the answer to Jesus's prayer? What if right here in this church, we were a picture of this gospel-centered, gospel-fueled unity, and we were actually the answer to the prayer of Jesus? This gospel-centered unity that is through the gospel, actually loving one another, actually pursuing reconciliation with each other. But see, this is also an invitation for the broken, for those who haven't yet trusted Christ. Look, John knew the gospel, he knew his story, and he proclaimed it to others, even though he was writing this in his very old age. John was writing this to the church because he knew in this Roman culture, he knew that there might still be people in that culture as they interacted with this region in Ephesus who would be coming to check out their fellowship and of course, the people, as they're working and living out in Ephesus, that they're going to be interacting with people who are still far from God and had no idea what the gospel is. So again, John knows the story, he knows the gospel, and he knew how to share it. So church, what that means for us is that because this story is real, we got to share the story, which means that we have to know the gospel, you have to know your story, and then you have to passionately share your story. So you got to know the gospel. You have to know what your story is when your story actually intersected with the gospel. And you have to be able to proclaim, to passionately share your story. 
Come on, do you know the four, the three core facts of the gospel? What we share around here all the time. Do you know the core facts of the gospel? That Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And one must repent of their sins, believe this good news about Jesus, and receive this life to the full that he's called us to, to walk in obedience to the things that God has called us to. Do you know the core facts of the gospel? In fact, some of you may notice that almost every single week at some point or another, we make a beeline for the gospel, and we share this almost every single week. I'm sure some of you guys have been thinking, man, is Andrew a broken record? Like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, sharing the same thing every single week? Because the truth of the matter is, just like John is doing right here, is that he's sharing it with the believers because we still need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. In fact, author and pastor and theologian Tim Keller, who just passed away this week, you know, he taught that the gospel wasn't just a diving board to jump into Christianity. He taught that the gospel, yes, it was a diving board, but it's also the pool that we swim in and that we live in. Look, we need to be reminded every single day of what Jesus has done for us and how he wants to use us to do that through others. Come on, do you know the gospel? But church, do you actually know your own story? Do you know when when you were so far from God and when your life intersected with the truth of Jesus and how he's been changing your life right now? Come on, do you remember when you were the one? Do you remember when you were the one who was so far from the Lord? Do you remember when you were the one who realized that the Lord, that Jesus had been calling you, drawing you to himself? Do you remember when you were the one who realized that you were the sinner who was in need of a savior? It wasn't just everyone else, but it was you who needed Jesus. Do you remember when you realized that, yes, he's God? Yes, he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. Yes, he bodily rose from the dead. He wasn't some phantom, but he really rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave, making a way so that you could really experience life. Do you remember when you were the one? Do you know your story? Man, are you ready to share your story? But not only that, are you ready to passionately proclaim and share your story. You know, it's so interesting. John doesn't just say, look, this truth about who Jesus is, uh, it's just personal to me. I'm going to keep it just to me. He doesn't just say, I'm going to kind of keep it secret here. All right. I'm not going to tell these churches about or anybody else about it. He says, no, I'm going to proclaim this to you. I want to proclaim this truth to you, say it to you again. And even for the people in the back who don't know Jesus yet, I want to proclaim this truth and proclaim simply means, look, I'm going to tell it. I'm going to passionately share it. Man, are you ready to passionately share the good news of who Jesus is? Um, again, another uh, author and pastor who passed away a couple years ago, but man, someone I love to follow, Dr. Howard Hendricks. This is what he says about how oftentimes Christians come when it, they're sharing what Jesus has done in them or through them, when they're teaching others or sharing the truth. This is what he says. He says, he says, look, I don't mean to be cruel, but he says, I'm compelled to be honest. If all those involved in Christian teaching had to become salesmen and saleswomen to make a living, most of them would starve to death. He says, we're teaching the most exciting truth in all the world, eternal truth. But we're doing it 
as if we were cold mashed potatoes. Church, we have the most exciting truth in the world. Are you hiding it or are you sharing it? As our worship team comes back up to the stage, and maybe you're wondering, how in the world has Pastor Andrew done so early today? I wanted to challenge you. In fact, if you're a Jesus follower today, can you see it? Can you see that the word of life, this Jesus Christ, has been made manifest? God's promise, God's plan for salvation, his plan for life to the full, his plan for eternal life has been made manifest and even made personal through Christ. Look, this story is real. So will you share the story? Church, God has placed someone in your life, in your circle of influence, that maybe nobody else is going to get to share the good news of who he is with, except you. Are you prepared to share the gospel? Look, I want to I challenge you. You would sow seeds of gospel sharing. And I mean, a couple of ways that you can do that is simply through prayer, like praying for people and with people, um, having opportunities that simply pray for them. And of course, an invitation to church is an invitation for someone to hear the good news about who Jesus is. But then I want to challenge you that you would personally get ready to share the good news about who Jesus is with someone. Because what has been done for you through Jesus isn't just for you. Man, the word has been made manifest. It's been made so clear to us. And the Lord wants us to do the same with others. And maybe you're in this room today, look, you have not yet trusted Christ. I just want to say, look, you are not here by accident. We want to share this story of this very real Jesus who provided a way for sins to be forgiven and for eternal life to be had. But even right now, that eternal life, that life to the full, isn't just for one day, it's for two days. And maybe someone even invited you here today, not because they were trying to trap you so you could hear about Jesus, but because they really love you. And they know like the hope that you've been looking for, the forgiveness that you've been looking for. Look, that maybe security, even in eternity that you've been looking for is only found in Jesus. So would you make this today that you trust Jesus as Lord and you surrender your life to him? Church, we're going to bow your heads and close your eyes. And let me just ask you a question first, okay? While you have your heads down and your eyes are closed, you're thinking about the realness of this story. Again, it's rooted in history, but it's also rooted in faith. Man, do you have somebody right now in your life that, again, maybe while I was even talking, maybe you know it, but someone that God's put in your circle of influence that you know you need to give an invitation to, I mean, you simply even pray for more, that they need to hear about Jesus. Would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you, okay? Raise your hand up, all right? Raise your hand up. Someone in your life, okay? You can put your hands down. Let me just say, like, take the challenge this week, okay, to pray for an open door. Your one invitation could change someone's eternal destination. You taking the time to, again, intentionally share the good news of Jesus could change their eternal destination. Would you pray that this week, this season, will be the time that God gives you the courage to share the good news of who he is? And maybe you're sitting out there today, and again, you haven't yet trusted Christ. Look, God loves you. No matter how far away from him you thought you've been, no matter what you've been going through, look, brand new life can begin today. The word has been made manifest. It's been made clear. God's plan for salvation 
and for hope has been brought near in Christ. So if that's you today, you want to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. You want to trust him as Lord right there where you are. Would you just pray the simple prayer? Would you say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want my life to follow you. Thank you for making the word manifest. Today, Jesus, I lay it all down to follow you. And Father God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. And God, I thank you, Lord, that our faith in you is both objective and it's subjective. And yes, it is rooted in history, God. Lord, there's so many things recording all the stuff that Jesus did. There's so many things that point to the fact that there was a very real Jesus in the first century. In fact, our very date today is determined by the life of Christ. Lord, it is rooted in history. But God, thank you that you showed us a faith that we can experience 